you shall not pass. Hey, we're not talking about Gandalf, the Lord of the Rings, or your chemistry teacher. We're talking about a passage from the Book of Numbers today. I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. Uh, Numbers chapter 20. And as you're flipping there, uh, I have a question. Um, have any of you other parents ever taken your kids to something only to sit wondering as the event was happening if this was a good idea? You know, you, 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 take, them to the, you take them to something and you thought it was going to be safe and a, a cool thing for your kids to be a part of. But all of a sudden, it just seems like you know, as you're as you're listening to the content being shared and what's happening around you, you're kind of like, maybe maybe this was a mistake in bringing my kids here. Um, well, when my daughter Jaden was about four and Ben was two, uh, we visited a friend's church uh, who was hosting a play called God with Us, and it was a program depicting the life of Jesus. So I took my family to go watch. I I thought, what what, what could the harm in this be? But I soon realized this little church went all out. To they, they graphically showed the arrest and the crucifixion, all the way to, to even cutting a hole out in their ceiling for when Jesus ascends to heaven into heaven. Well, as soon as the lights went out at the very beginning, my son Ben was like, No, I'm out. Uh he he's like, I did not sign up to come sit here in the dark. Uh so I ended up watching the entire program from the basement on a small monitor. Uh, but my wife, Nicole Helver, she stayed in the sanctuary with, with, with our daughter, Jaden. And she was scared, but determined to see the whole thing through. Uh, during the crucifixion, she washed with her hands over her eyes, but peep, you know, peeking through, uh, you know, just you know, not wanting to watch, but wanting to watch at the same time. And then when they placed Jesus in the tomb, Jaden was very sad, but she said a very profound theological statement to Nicole. She said, God is going to fix it. And when, so when Jesus walked out of the tomb, Jaden stood to her little feet and clapped her hands because God did fix it. Now, you and I as believers, we have the same confidence that Jaden has had at that play. We, we, we know that no matter the situation, our God is powerful enough to fix it. He has that ability. He is the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega. He can step in and intervene and undo or or correct or or fix any problem or situation that should come our way. But while we have that confidence, I'm I'm sure we've we've all experienced this. We've we've all had those moments when we have prayed, expecting God to step in and and bring about a different outcome. Yet for some reason, that doesn't happen. The passage we'll look out today will lead us to ask the question, why didn't God fix it? And this sermon is titled, You Shall Not Pass. Let me read the text to you. Reading in Numbers chapter 20, starting at verse 14, uh, down through 21. And this is what it said. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know all about the hardships that have come come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink any water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, 
You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, We will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again, they answered, You may not pass through. And then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. So the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we dig into our text, trying to answer the question of why didn't God fix it? First, we have to remember some things. Remember, the Israelites, they are God's chosen people. Uh, and God at this point has, has brought them out of the land of Egypt. Remember, they were there as slaves. And, and there's that battle between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh not wanting to let God's people go. And, and God sends the ten plagues. And, and finally, Pharaoh relents and lets them go. From that point where they left Egypt, and they've been wandering, trying to get to the promised land. This is this land that God has promised to them. But along the way, they've grumbled. They've complained. They've rebelled against God on multiple occasions up to this point. And immediately before this passage, not only has the people been in rebellion, but now Moses has been disrespectful to God. If you read uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, you're going to read Moses' disobedience to God. Um, The people are grumbling again because they're thirsty. And God tells Moses, hey, stop their grumbling. Just speak to this rock and water will come out from it. Well, Moses gets that answer, but he, he has to go back and deal with these grumbly people. People, And it's in that moment as he's dealing with these grumbly people that his, his anger gets the better of him, his agitation with them. If you're a parent, you've been there where you're, you just get so agitated with the whining, the fighting, and the fussing that you finally just have enough. And, and Moses has had enough of the Israelites. So he's, instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he smacks it against the rock. And the water still comes out like God said it would, but he did it in a manner and with an attitude that God was not okay with. So even Moses has rebelled against God at this point. And that's what brings us up to this point, to the passage we're looking at today as we try to answer our question, why didn't God fix it? So with that backstory in mind, let's dig in a little deeper to this text. Verses 14 through 17, that says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom saying, this is what your brother Israel says. You know all about the hardships that have come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we're here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So the people have been wandering through the wilderness, and they are really almost to Canaan. And Canaan is the promised land that God is leading them towards. They're almost there. And all that stands between them and the promised land is this territory owned by the Edomites. They're almost there. And Moses, he's he's a wise leader. He, he, He understands and, he, and growing up in the palace of Egypt, uh, he is familiar with this thing called the King's Highway. The King's Highway is this, this um, ancient trading route that connected all the powerful kingdoms of the day. And this is, this is one of the reasons why the area of Israel is such a hotbed, especially during this time period and, and, and in, the, in, the, in the generations that are going to follow for some time. 
this King's Highway, it connected all these major kingdoms. And whoever controlled that world roadway really had could could can move faster, could trade faster. It's why it's why this is such a hotbed area is is the the trade route that went through there. Um, but nevertheless, Moses, knowing that this road exists, he knows if they follow it, it's going to lead them directly into Canaan, the land that God's leading them toward, the promised land that he has promised his people. And so they're, they're headed there. And Moses is counting on this common trade route to help his people finish their journey. But all this stood in the way were the Edomites. Now, who are the Edomites? The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Who was Esau? In Genesis, we read about Esau being the oldest son of Isaac. Isaac is one of the forefathers of faith. You hear about you know, there's Adam and Eve, of course, and there's there's Noah. But after Noah, the next real big character of the Bible is Abraham, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. And Isaac and his wife Rebecca end up having two sons. First is Esau, but he's only the oldest by about thirty seconds. About thirty seconds later is when his brother Jacob was born. Now, rather than parent both kids together, Isaac and Rachel or Rebecca decide they're going to play favorites. Uh, they Re- uh, Rebecca helps Jacob trick Isaac into stealing Esau's birthright. So, as the oldest, Esau is, is destined to to inherit his his all of the wealth of his father. Everything that his father's accumulated would go to on, on to Esau being the oldest child. Um, but because they're playing favorites, and, and Esau, he's He's kind of favored by Isaac. Esau is a man's man. You know, he went, he goes out, he hunts, and he can he can fix wild game. You know, uh, so he and his dad were, were were pretty close. But on the other hand, Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He stuck close to Rebecca's side, and well, Rebecca, not wanting her favorite son to be left out, she helps him in a plot to steal this inheritance right away from Esau, um, and it leads to this big whole conflict that exists between the two of them for a good portion of the book of Genesis. And I can't go in I, for the sake of time. I'm not going to go into more detail than that, uh, but go check it out for yourself. Um, but just notice that later on in Genesis, the two brothers would, would patch up their relationship. But, but this is important. Knowing who the Edomites are and who Esau is, is important based because it, Jacob is the brother of Esau. Later on, Jacob, God would change Jacob's name and he would change Jacob's name to Israel. So the Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. So Moses, he is hoping the brotherly love that Esau showed toward Jacob would be passed down between these two nations. He's hoping this is this is more than no more than a family reunion. I mean, here they are; they're so close to entering the promised land. The only thing that's standing between them and the promise of that God has for them is their relatives, the, the and this the land that the relatives own. So he's counting on the Edomites to allow them to stick to the roadway, to travel through the promised land, hoping that those family ties were still there. Hoping that the Edomites would would look favorably upon the Israelites upon their journey. Continuing on in verse 18. But Edomite answered, Edom answered, you may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. So they say no. I mean, it seemed like no big deal to Moses and the Israelites. I mean, it's just simply walking through the relatives and they, they don't, they're not planning on touching anything or harming anything. But the Israelites say no. And to be fair, uh, the Israelites, they they did essentially plunder Egypt as they were leaving. You know, they, they the Egyptians were down. They they just they had been hit with all these plagues. And the last of which was the death of their, their firstborn. They were hurting. 
And when I say they plundered Egypt, it's more of, yes, they, they took silver and gold, but most of what they required, the Egyptians were handing them as they were leaving, saying, hey, take this and just get out. Get away. We don't even want to look at you anymore. Take your things and, and just get going. And here, take some, some gold and silver with you so we don't even have to consider looking at you ever again. And so so that, that news about them plundering Egypt had to spread. And also, before they reached this point, the Israelites had been engaged in many conflicts, many different battles with with different people groups on their journey here. And that news probably has reached the Edomites. And so they're, you know, this is to, for them, this is a matter of national security. Think about it. It's these strangers claiming to be their relatives are now knocking on the door, wondering if they could pass through, promising not to touch anything. Uh, I don't, I don't know that we would, would react any differently than the Edomites do. They, they are cautious. Uh, they're not going to let the Israelites pass through. They're not going to fall for it. You know the trick of oh yeah you say you won't touch anything but yeah as soon as you get in here you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna steal everything that we got take everything that we own and, and, and kill us off and take all, what, what belongs to us so that that's that's the attitude of the Edomites they're just trying to protect what's theirs they're trying to 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 stand up and stand their ground um, we we can we can try and pick at them and try and, and make them be out the villains but really in reality this is their right this is their land and uh, the Israelites have no right to pass through it or to take it from them. Uh, this, So anyway, yeah, there's that. But anyway, Moses and the Israelites, though, they, they are close. They are so close to the promise, and they're so close to reaching Canaan, and they're not, about, they're, about, they're not about to give up now. And so they try again. They assure the Edomites they will stick to the highway. They're not, they, they promise they won't drink any of their water or eat any of their cows. And if any disputes pop up, then the Israelites will pay for it. If you look at verse... Uh, 19, and that's what it says. It says, the Israelites reply, we will go along the main road. And if we are a livestock, drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot. Nothing else. Really what they're saying is, pretty please let us pass. Pretty please. We're so close. We're almost to our destination. Will you please let us go through? And how do the Edomites respond? You shall not pass. That's how they respond. They repeat it again. But this time, they send out the whole army. If you want to tell somebody no, this is how you do it, right? If, if, you, if you've told them no and you repeat yourself, and the second time you show force, they, they will back down. That's exactly what the Edomites do. They, 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 they are literally, literally saying to Israelites, if you step on our lawn, bad things are going to happen. So stay off our lawn. Um, and again, it's their, right, their land, and they have the right to determine who passes through. And that, that's just really what the Edomites are doing. Uh, our temptation in moments like this is to, to look at them as the villains of the story and 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 demonize and villainize them, but that would be wrong on our part because again, this, this land belongs to them. God has provided in this land. But anyway, so they tell Israel no twice to letting them pass. So this brings us to our question: The Israelites are God's chosen people on their way to the land that He has promised them. Why doesn't He fix this? Why doesn't He? Not, why does He not change the Edomites' mind? Why or 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 why doesn't He allow? the Israelites to attack them and, and t- t- to take the land or just to simply be able to pass through it. Part of this, and really, if you if, when you look ahead in the book of Deuteronomy, and the Israelites are finally at that step where they're about to enter the promised land. They get past this moment and some other moments, and, and they're on the verge of claiming that promise of God to them. And the Edomites are still there. And God, even in that moment, he tells him, do not attack the Edomites. These are your brothers. This is their land, and this is what's promised to them. 
So, so even then, God doesn't allow them to go and rectify the, the problem of the past. So the question that comes to mind right here for us about this text is, why doesn't God fix this? And there are two answers. First, God did not fix it because of the disobedience of the Israelites. Not only the Israelites, but also Moses disobeys God. I mean, logic would tell us that that has to be the answer. We talked about it. You know, throughout their journey, they have they have flat out been disobedient to God. I mean, Moses goes up onto the mountain of God to get the law of God to bring down to the people. He's gone for about 40 days or so. And while he's gone, the people get nervous. And instead of praying and talking to the one true God, they create a golden calf and they begin to worship it instead. Breaking many of the commandments that Moses is bringing down in that process. They, they rebel against Moses. They, 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 they grumble and they complain over and over again. Even Moses gets, disobeys God. So logic tells us that has to be an, the answer. But there's one problem with that answer. There's a problem with it. Throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the, 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 the books telling us of the journey of God's people from being slaves to wanderers through the wilderness to, to, to entering the promised land. You know, the, there's a journey of these this, this people of Israel, right? Of God's people. They, they go from slaves to free wanderers to, uh, to becoming conquerors, entering into the land of promise. But throughout that, Throughout that documentation, when the Israelites sin or are punished, punished, it is documented. Meaning, God tells them what the punishment is for their sin in that moment, right away. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't hide it from them. He tells them, that you did this, so I am allowing this to happen to you. And these books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, every time they document it when that punishment is carried out. But right here in, in, in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 21, we do not find that right here. God doesn't say, I'm making you go around as punishment for your sin. It doesn't say that. To answer the question of why didn't God fix it with, with because they were disobedient, that's the answer you and I want as the reader. It's the answer we want since it is the answer that encourages us to be obedient to God. We believe if we are obedient to God, good things happen and bad things happen when you do not. But this is a platitude answer, giving us the warm, fuzzy feelings of assurance. However, the Bible clearly tells us that God sends the rain both from the good and the bad. Those are the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. So this idea that if we are obedient to God and good things happen, and if we're disobedient, bad things happen, that is not biblical. That is not a belief that is of God. Matter of fact, Jesus spends much of his earthly ministry trying to convince the, the Jews that that is not the case. The book of Job is, one, is another book in the Old Testament that teaches us that how God treats you is not based on your performance. There is nothing that you or I could do to make, us, to make God love us any more or any less. There's nothing we could do to change that. There's nothing more we could do to make God proud of us. God loves you and is proud of you simply because you are his and he created you. Now, understand, I'm not advocating that we we go out and intentionally be disobedient to God. Uh, That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that our actions and our choices don't have consequences. But what I am saying is we have to stop believing if we're living that lie. If we're obedient to God, good things happen in this life. And if we don't, if we're disobedient, bad things happen. This, this is only a, a, a means of self-assurance based on falsehood. And when we answer that question of why didn't God fix this for the Israelites with 
they were disobedient. We, we are buying into that lie. That lie helps you get to sleep at night. It helps you be able to, to build a logical foundation to live your life off of. But it's not true. So what's the, what's the answer to the question then? What is, what's the true answer, Jason, if, 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 to this question? If, they weren't, if, if God doesn't fix it because they're disobedient, then, then why doesn't God fix it? What is the most accurate answer based on the text that we can take and practically apply to our lives? Are you ready for it? Here, here it is. Here, here's the answer. Here is the answer to our question of why didn't God fix it? The answer is that there is no answer. I don't know is the correct answer to the question of why didn't God fix it? We do not like this answer because we cannot embrace the mystery. You see, we desire to have the answer so we can be self-sufficient when we were created to be dependent upon God. You see, if we know what the answer is, if, 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 if the answer to the question is because they were disappointed, then we know that as long as we don't copy them, or we do differently than them, then we're going to be okay and things are going to work out in our favor. That puts that puts us in control of not only our lives, but in, this, in control of the situation. That gives that false belief that we are self that we are self-made and self-contained. And that we can be self-sufficient. But that's not how we were created to be. You and I, we were created to be dependent upon God. We were created to be in a daily relationship with Him. And not only in a daily relationship with God, but we were created to be in a relationship with other people, with the people sitting next to us, the people we rub elbows, elbows well when it's COVID, the people we come across in our lives. We are to be dependent upon God and upon one another. That's what it really means to love God and love others. But we don't like that answer of, I don't know, or there is no answer. Because we have to give up the control. And the ability to, 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 we have to be able to answer the question, can we trust the one who has the answer? Even if that means we don't have the answer ourselves. In the book of Revelation, John gets a tremendous opportunity. And John's the writer of Revelation. He gets invited up into heaven. And he gets a glimpse of the eternal throne. And as John is watching and looking at this eternal throne, he sees a scroll and this scroll contains the mysteries of God. And John does not get to see these mysteries for himself. He's not worthy of that honor. Matter of fact, as he's standing there, there the, there's, a, there's a voice calling out, who is worthy to come and open the scroll, to unravel the mysteries of God? And, and John begins to weep because he, he knows he's not worthy. And as he's standing there waiting for these mysteries to be revealed, no one is stepping forward. There is no one worthy to come and open this scroll. But in that moment, as he's weeping, one of the elders comes to him and says, Don't cry, there is one. He is the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. And so, you know, put yourself in John's mindset. So you're in heaven, you're getting this vision, and this guy tells you that this Lion of Judah is worthy, and he's going to come. And so John's watching, and he's expecting someone like the rock to walk out, you know, this big person that demands authority, that has this you know, that, that's strong and mighty and, and ready to come and fight and, 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 and do things our way. But when he looks up, he sees a lamb that has been slain. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, John records who is worthy to see them, to see these mysteries of God. 
It says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus is this lamb who is slain. By his death and resurrection, he is now the one who is worthy to come and take the scroll that contains all the mysteries of God. He, he doesn't hesitate. He simply walks up to the throne. This is the throne of God. This is the eternal throne. He walks up, grabs a hold of the mysteries of God without question, without stopping to pause. He boldly approaches, grabs a hold of it. And he is the one who is worthy to open all these mysteries of God. Jesus is the one who holds all the mystery of God in his hand. And this is the same Jesus who loved you enough to die for you on the cross, who never gives up on you. So can we trust the one, this one who is Jesus, who has the answer, even if that means we don't have the answer ourselves? You might be wondering why God didn't fix it in your life or in your family member's life. I can't give you an answer. And even if, I, even if you picked up your Bible and, and you searched it from cover to cover to answer that question of why didn't God fix, fix I, I, I hate to break it to you, but that mystery is going to remain. Because you're focusing on the, real, the wrong one. The real question is, can you give up your, your need to know, that desire to be self-sufficient? Can you trust Jesus, the one who holds all the mysteries of God in his hand? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. If you live in or near the Greensburg, Kentucky area or find yourself visiting our community on a Sunday morning, please join us at 1030 a.m. Central Time at Greensburg Church of Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane. If you find yourself responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit through this message, would you please send me a message either through the connection card available in the show notes or simply subscribe to the Dirt Path Facebook page and you can send me a message there. I would love to pray for you.